0: Well, on this day in 1967, Billy Corgan was born. Happy birthday, Billy. He's, of course, uh, an American musician, singer and Smashing Pumpkins. Also professional wrestling promoter. He's currently the owner and promoter of the uh, National Wrestling Alliance. At school, Billy Corgan was a huge sports fan and athlete, amassed a huge collection of baseball cards. And in high school, Corgan discovered alternative rock through Bauhaus and The Cure and decided that music was for him. He said, At eight years old I put on the Black Sabbath records and my life is forever changed. It sounded so heavy, it rattled the bones, I wanted that feeling. With Bauhaus and the cure, it was the ability to create a mood and an atmosphere. The air gets heavier. So I don't know if you're a smashing pumpkins uh uh fan, Georgie never did a lot for me myself, but I can appreciate them.
1: Mm-hmm. No. What year was that released? It was 90s, late 90s, was it? Yeah, that's right. It reminds me of like sort of teenage angst, but then I was like, no, I'm too I'm too young for that. So yes. I'm not sure what I what it's triggering, but either way I don't like it.
2: No. <laughs>
1: I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it off. Can I step in <laughs> Straight- here for the, yeah. as the
2: voice of reason? Um, the Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins are an iconic band. Mm-hmm. I don't think Billy Corgan, <laughs> I don't think the lead singer is a hell of a great guy. But for a, a, a short period of time, they made amazing music. And what was so interesting listening to that, because I, I mean, I was a bit too young for that as well, but I, I'd still recommend anyone going back and listening to the classics start with 1979 and move forward from there on mm-hmm. The Pumpkins. But my what I was going to say is that it's really interesting how in the 90s grunge music was so kind of like anti-capitalist and kind of rebellious and and music of my childhood of the early 2000s now is so much more about like wealth and excess and showing off I don't just mean hip-hop just all pop music in general and it really is interesting how that has changed I wonder if we'll swing back um, to a more humble sort of music and a more angsty sort of music or if or if capitalism has has ruined music forever, I'm not sure.
0: Love your thoughts. Love your thoughts, guys. So you really, uh, this is really born out of your. I mean, grunge, grunge was you, wasn't it? This is why. This is yeah, why it, I played it for you.
2: It's really, it's really dark music. Like I wouldn't recommend. It's not family listening. Like um, my favorite songs. They're very, very dark. They're about like literally about murders and stuff like that. They're very intense, but um. There's something, there's something artistic about them and something beautiful about some of the melodies. And uh, if you want to get a bit angry, it's, it's a good way to let off steam. What do you listen to at home? What's your, what's your band, Guy? Uh, I'm into hip-hop, so Chance the Rapper is like mm. my god. I'm a big Kanye West fan, although he's gone off the deep end a little bit. But I, I'm mainly into rap music now, and I guess that's the closest thing to like political or kind of uh, punk or grunge mm. music from the 90s that we have now, Kendrick Lamar. But um, I, I like pop as much as anyone. Like That's why I like Kanye, because he's a pop artist. But Chance the Rapper, if anyone who's into just like uh, pop music and wants to get into um, hip-hop, Chance the Rapper is a good gateway drug. I'd highly recommend that. All right,
0: good on you. Uh, Wallace, here's an idea. A lot of feedback about the uh, the person who was invoiced for going to a friend's dinner. Here's an idea. How about you send an invoice back for your company on the said night, says Kim, <laughs> Kim from <laughs> Napier. Oh,
1: Great. I like that.
0: Great idea, Kim. Great great idea. Another one here, charging friends for dinner. You need to send them an invoice for the same amount plus $5 for entertainment services. And another one here, send a contra invoice for entertainment. Meet Cheek with Cheek. And Angela says, ignore that request for money. Just reply with a lull. Uh, And a lot of people did not like me talking about... The boomer on a Harley Davidson. Wallace, that story about the boomer on a bike. Under the proposed hate speech laws, I would regard that as hateful, and I'd love to pl- complaint against it as I find it hateful and insulting. Uh, and the complaint would be against
2: you. Um, I was just reading out the reading, feedback, yeah. uh, and the person said, do, 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 "Do you know what I? Do you, do you know what I always find ironic? <laughs> that it's often the people who claim that people get too easily offended these days that get very offended by the b-word." But um, if you are offended by that word, then I'm I am i am sorry if I've said it before because. Uh, but also, I think you should lighten up because it's not that it's it's not hateful. It's it's supposed to be a joke. Well,
1: definitely uh, well, not I, in the I, definition. I, for either the hate way, speech. Just... I've
0: got no views on what a boomer is or her boomer is or whatever. But I was just reading Elisa's uh, uh, email from Nelson. Anyway, thanks for your company yep. this afternoon, uh, Guy Williams and uh, Georgie Stiliano, with me this afternoon. Now. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and Ministers launched the Aotearoa New Zealand Histories Curriculum Te Takanga O Te Wah, this morning. The teaching of history curriculum will formally begin in 2023 and says the recognition of Tuia 250 was a change to rightly put emphasis on the navigational history of New Zealand. Quoting, yes, learning about James Cook's journey here, but also learning about the navigation that came with double-hulled waka prior to that. To discuss... Is Graham Bore the chair of the New Zealand History Teachers Association? Graham kia ora. good to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. This curriculum has taken what three years to develop, a long time. Was it quite a complex issue to put all the strands together?
3: Um, yeah. Well, this was really creating a, um, a, a, a curriculum from scratch. I mean, um, i just to be clear, I was on the part of the writing group that helped yeah. develop it, and. Um, um, we didn't really have a very good um, model from overseas. We did have a look at, of course, what other countries were doing, but it didn't really fit with what, what we wanted to do. Um, so we did have to come up with something from scratch. So it was quite challenging. But um, then, then we just picked up momentum and uh, managed to, I think, produce something, you know, in its first phase that was that was pretty good. wasn't great, but pretty good. And then through the um, consultation process, uh, we refined. The document until it is what you see today.
0: So for those who are new to the subject, a couple of key points about what makes this so special, what makes this an exciting change for teaching histories in Aotearoa?
3: Well, I think the, the, there's a couple of things, but one of them, um, most clearly, and it was a thing that the New Zealand History Teachers Association argued for in um, 2019 with its petition, uh, was that to have a coherent framework for the teaching of our history some schools were teaching history, um, and some schools uh, were not, and it was really a little bit of a lottery as to whether your child happened to uh, luck into a school where they did. Um, and the, the second thing, then, of course, is we we had no idea what was happening as those uh, children progressed through their education. And we often found in secondary schools by the time we started to look at things like the treaty or whatever it might be, that they said, you know, we oh, we've done this so many times, and I think. We were quite conscious of avoiding having um, students uh, repeat things endlessly, um, but also, of course, we you know, we haven't got a lot of time in which to, to do this. It might sound like a lot of time spread over ten years, but it's a crowded curriculum already. So this has got to um, fit in there um, and and make good use of the uh, opportunities to to have a broad education on our history.
0: Yeah, I was just trying to think back to uh, the mid '80s and what I was taught in history. Uh, at Nelson College. But Georgie, let's bring you in.
1: I'm fascinated by this. I, I, I'm a history buff, loved history, and yep. I was educated in England. And it, I've really reflected on this today. What? How did I feel about the way I was taught British history? Certainly, we were not... We were told the the bloody and the brutal side of the British history, and when I would you know travel to different countries, I'd often recall, oh yeah, that's why they don't bloody like the English because you know we were quite awful to them. Um, <laughs> but there's other parts of it, like I can still recite how you know Henry VIII's wives were all met their unfortunate ends, that are not so relevant and haven't really probably helped form my my individual consciousness. So I'm I'm interested in in the balance aspect here between. Um, I suppose colonialism, and how that's going to be taught in in the curriculum. And I, I know that's a difficult thing to answer in thirty seconds, but can you try and answer it? <laughs> it's, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. I'll,
3: I'll give it a go. Um, if you have a look at the managed to have a look at the curriculum, it, it begins with four big key ideas. So interesting you point out, you know, you can remember some things like the, the the wives of Henry VIII. Well, we would hope that we've had some sort of success if by the year 10, if the barest minimum was that these four key ideas, the big ideas, are what they could um, remember. And, and then, you know, obviously we hope they could uh, talk a little bit more about them. But the idea of Māori history as being foundational and, and, and continuous up through to today, the notion of colonisation and, and the impacts it has had, and, you know, we're talking in English now, that's... That's that's a, that's a consequence of colonisation. If the French had beaten the English here, we'd be talking in French now, probably. Mm. Um, the third one is about the exercise of power and the, how that shapes history. And then fourthly is the interconnectedness of, you know, from the local community level right through to the international level. So those big ideas are really, I guess, the, the nub of what this curriculum is about and um Anything else is is what we you know want them to be able to the students to be able to um, talk more fully about those four big ideas.
2: All right, Guy Graham, is that you? Must be pulling your hair out. Is it not outrageous <laughs> that it's taken it's taken to twenty twenty three to get New Zealand history made official in New Zealand? Like this is a crazy story, right?
3: <laughs> it, look, it is. Um, it wasn't so long ago that, that um, in history classrooms and, and schools that um, 60% of the senior history class is year 13, as it is now, were teaching Tudor-Stewart England when there was a, a Tudor-Stewart or 19th-century New Zealand choice. Um, but we've come a long way in, that, in a relatively short amount of time in terms of where New Zealand, not just education is at, but where New Zealand society is at. And so this is really fitting in. To a wider movement towards understanding our past, um, recognising the place of, of Maori as tangata whenua, um, and, and, and in a really positive way. And yes, we're going to have to go and visit some of the revisit some of the um, you know the, the the not so nice stuff in the past. But it's by doing that and actually um, bringing it out into the open that we can move on from it. Um, there are those who want to keep it submerged, still and, and suppressed, still or ignored or whatever you want to call it. There had been.
0: I was going to say, Graham. I was sort of going to sneak this in a bit, because there had been some criticisms that uh, it had failed to include topics like the role of women in society, Labour, gosh, our economics history, you know, be it Rogernomics, the GFC, uh, things that actually we didn't uh, get taught much about at school. Um, Have those also been uh, addressed?
3: Yes. um, People who are making those comments are referring to the uh, February 2021 draft, which yeah. which was actually a lot more like the one that's out now originally, but some testing schools that we sent it to before its release in February 21 said it was too complex, you know, we can't get our heads around it. So we stripped it back to to just some broader statements. And whilst we thought that was a good thing to simplify it a bit, um, obviously what it meant is that, when the public saw it, or some people in the public, um, they felt there were gaps there. Um, but but that material had never been lost. It was going to be there, as supporting the uh, But now it's no? come back into the curriculum.
2: Yeah, I, huh? I, I was just going to say, do you, Graham? Do you have a reason why it's taken so long to put New Zealand history into New Zealand schools? Um, is it is is it just racism? Is it that simple to to put it that way? Look, there. You know, it's a
3: really good question, and I I. I uh, you know the word I use is zeitgeist. That that that, you know, if you look back at our media reportage over the over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and you know stuffs me a culprit about how they used to report on Maldy, you know that's not okay anymore to report like that. You know the likes of Bob Jones and and uh, what was his name, John Banks, and people like that making those comments, which would have got a hearty chuckle, uh, and been okay. They were not okay. You know there was a, there was a, a change, and I think I think it's, I don't know what drives these things. It'll be someone's PhD in a number of years' time, I guess. What drives these changes? But certainly they are happening more broadly in society. and, and
1: It's also relatively recent history, right? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of, you know, when I was a kid in England, we were, we were learning about hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, and, and this this New Zealand's history isn't, and I, I do think we're still a little bit, awkward about how we talk about it and it's almost not like a, a commonly agreed um recollection of history still so it's i think it's therefore difficult for us to articulate in a although, school curriculum way
0: although, although there's a thousand years of maori history graham uh, is there not and that was also addressed that uh, there needs to be more uh, uh, around pre-colonial maori
3: yeah, and that's one of those areas that that was you know probably stripped back a bit too far in terms of statements. We, as the writing group, certainly saw that that that, that was in there, but of course, what we realised due to public feedback is that it wasn't so obvious to to others. That yeah. is bad. Yeah. I mean, there as, as in guidance. So, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll, I would argue that pretty much all of the concerns that were raised because there was a, a, an extensive consultation process um, have been addressed. Not everyone will be happy, but, you know, <laughs> how can you make everyone happy?
0: Good on you, Graham. Nice to have you on the programme. Kia ora. That is uh, Graham Ball, the Chair of the New Zealand History Teachers Association. Big news today, the, uh, the launching of the Aotearoa New Zealand Histories Curriculum, Te Takanga o Te Wa, uh, today. Meanwhile, you're all... Ranting and raving about the uh, the invoice that was sent to the friend uh, at dinner, but someone Sarah, Sarah <laughs> says, "Well, I will tell you what, I'd pay to have dinner with Guy Williams." Um, wasn't it? was a joke? Uh, wasn't Citizen jest? <laughs> so there's one. There's one for you there, Guy. Um,
2: I would you... not recommend it. I'll be making my dad's famous cabbage and mint. I am a terrible cook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let's just you put your serious hat on. Um, uh, you know, yeah. for one sky, what would you make on it? Yeah. day? what 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 would you make?
2: Uh, I I I normally I I normally do uh, ske- skewers that I've bought from the supermarket. <laughs> Don't, I, I, it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say this out loud. Like teagle skewers that are pre-marinated, pre-marin, um, normally with like some sort of tandoori or something like that sauce from the supermarket, <laughs> and then I um, fry up some broccoli. And uh, so you get skewers and broccoli if you're coming on a hot date with me. Um, I would not recommend it, even to my worst enemies. And you fry your broccoli, you don't boil it? No, I fry it and a bit of. Uh, I use uh, Japanese like mayonnaise sauce in the international section at the New World. Uh, I put that on top and it, it covers my terrible cooking. Yeah, I just. I it's it's making me shudder with embarrassment even thinking Date about it. Date night with Guy Good.
0: Williams, two Tegel skewers, yeah. a fried broccoli, and maybe a glass of wine or kombucha if you're lucky. No, no,
2: no, I don't drink. I don't drink. Oh. So you have to get through this <laughs> awkward situation completely sober as well. That's the worst part of it. All right. It is eleven to five.
0: Now, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, food, Victoria <laughs> University has apologised for the food it is serving up at its Wellington halls residence. Bit of mixed veggies on rice, a watery brown sauce with a couple of what, a couple of pieces of what looks like tofu on top. That's one of the images I'm looking at now. But nutritionists they say not enough. One mum complains saying. Her daughter, who pays 450 bucks to live in this residence, was refi- receiving small portions lacking in nutritional value with sometimes dry, chewy meat. Uh, and, look, it wasn't good enough. With us is food writer Nikki Bazan, She cast her eyes over at Kia ora, Nikki. Kia ora, Wallace. Firstly, to the teak skewers and the fried broccoli.
4: That doesn't sound too bad. Okay. I'd come and have that with guys.
0: Okay, fair
2: enough. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome around any time, but I don't drink, so BYO oh. uh, Cody's. That's fine, so yeah. if I'm, that's I'm, okay,
1: I'm... if the skewers and the broccoli are okay, what's wrong with tofu, rice, and some frozen veggies?
0: Have you seen the picture? Nikki, <laughs> explain.
4: I have seen it. Yeah, look, I don't think there's much wrong with it at all, to be honest. I feel a bit... Oh. I mean, I, I, I do You're feel... You're kidding me. No, no. I, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the thing with these meals here is that they're not Instagram-worthy, are they? They look... They don't look all all that attractive.
2: It depends on the filter honest.
4: that you that you apply. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't think that not, not, they're never going to be Instagram worthy. But uh, it's a very difficult situation that these that these cooks are in. Um, and I gather that these are meals that are delivered to the rooms. They're not meals from the buffet, right? Yeah. So circumstances have changed in the halls of residence and they've had to quickly move to room service. And I think that's probably, you know, the meals are suffering for that. When you've got a buffet situation, which we mo- most likely would have, right. In and in a halls of residence, normally you, you've got more of an opportunity to create for yourself a healthy place. And, I think when someone else is dishing it up for you, it's probably well, a bit haphazard.
0: I don't know, Nikki, because I can. I can, referring. I mean, I can recall at Unicole Hawth Residence in Otago University in the eighties. I mean, it was great. I mean, the Venus Schnitzel was a bit greasy, but it was really, <laughs> really good compared to what I'm seeing here. And they've said that, sorry.
4: Yeah, that's interesting because I've, I've interestingly just the other day found a letter that I'd written to my parents from February uh, nineteen eighty nine from my auckland hall you know hostel where in which i complain about the food oh okay i've I've listed the whole menu here and i've complained about what's what's on the menu (laughs)
0: what's on the menu
4: now it doesn't sound that bad to me i I mean i've got um on tuesday here in february 1989 i had meatloaf (laughs) courgettes with no garlic or onion about which i was obviously quite upset and um (laughs) carrots and potatoes and watermelon so
1: you know i mean watermelon is quite
4: exotic I know. Maybe I. Was How do you just, have a record of this?
2: A, <laughs> That's what I was thinking.
4: Physical. In How the olden it, days, people used to write physical letters, and I and I still have it sitting
2: here. Yeah, It's amazing. Did you print what? a second copy for like legal purposes? <laughs> why?
4: No, for some reason I've got the original. I don't. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. But anyway, my point love is it. actually institutional food is hard. It is okay. difficult. You've All got right. to make a lot Fair of enough. food. You've got to, You've got to satisfy a lot of different people. Um, it's probably not always going to be the best food but it doesn't have to be instagram worthy to actually be nutritious and tasty so comment. So, yeah, you can quick use comment. frozen
1: vegetables you can use your simple meats it doesn't have to be fancy oh yeah my only comment would be we you know we always to hear about the fresher five you pile on 5 kilos maybe they're just trying to compensate for that i i thought those meals didn't look too bad
0: yeah fair enough hey uh Kia ora Nikki, that's lovely to have you on and I loved, uh, I, actually one day i want to see that letter um, because like Guy, I'm quite blow, blown away the
4: useful with you. It's embarrassing, I must say. The rest no, it's, it's wonderful,
0: no. it's really delightful. Thank you for your time. Uh, and someone says here, Wallace, my son was in the halls last year and the food was dreadful. Everyone in Wellington complains about the food, it's the same every year. Uh, Ken says, but my 90-year-old dad has microwaved broccoli with his... Wheat picks for breakfast uh, every day. Thank oh. you. Thank you for that, Ken. Um, all oh. right, now, yes, that's right. Seagulls
1: are nothing but pests. Oh, I don't pests, think right? they would eat that. Well,
0: maybe I'll try it. <laughs> maybe we're missing something here. Maybe uh, broccoli with Wheat picks, let's find out. Anyway, seagulls are nothing but pests, right? Rats of the sky, as some refer to them. But as it turns out, Certain species have seen a massive decline in numbers over the past century, including the native Tarapunga or red guld, red, red-billed gull. To tell us just what is going on, we're joined by retired marine scientist Dr. Chris Lalas. Chris, Kiora, welcome to the program. Hello. This I did not know, and I'm sure that our panelists will agree with me. Uh, they did not know either that this certain species of seagull was rare.
5: Uh, yeah, they're in their tens of thousands. The estimate's oh. up around 100,000. It's more that the overall population is dropping perhaps uh, quickly, something like uh, maybe ten or 20,000 per decade. Good
0: grief. What's causing the decline?
5: Uh, according to the latest assessment, which came out in December, it's only one of two native species in New Zealand, that's being uh, a decline attributable just to climate change and nothing Mm.
0: else. Well, we have a panel with us, uh, Chris, and they might uh, offer some uh, questions to you about uh, seagulls. Georgie?
1: I like seagulls. I would never call them rats of the sky. I like pigeons too. I'm the sort of person that can't even vacuum up a spider when I'm vacuuming in the house. But I I thought this was really sad. I would have had no Mm. idea that, they, they were one of only two, as you've said, na- native birds that are, are suffering directly from climate change. So I suppose the reason being wh- why, wh- what is it specifically that's, that's what's that link? Uh,
5: the most obvious one, which when things are obvious, they're probably wrong, is that their main food suppliers moving southward as the waters around New Zealand warm up. So their main food is uh, uh, krill, rather mm. similar to uh, Antarctic krill, but a lot
1: smaller. Oh. Ah.
2: Uh-huh. Um, can, can you just elaborate on that quote you just said? When things are obvious, they're probably wrong. <laughs> what does what that mean? Uh, it, it's the
5: idea of presenting an answer that sounds uh, either uh, glib or all-encompassing but is, in fact, extremely complex situation.
0: Right, okay. Wow, okay. I want to know, Chris, uh, if I uh, feed seagulls, uh, maybe chips, maybe a bit of bread, am I in the right or am I in the wrong?
5: The gulls will love you. They're... Uh, a major food source for them is just scavenging. So that if you uh, feed them, they'll, they'll keep eating. Uh, it's unlikely that uh, they'll be eating enough that it's bad for them. Uh, but a lot of people uh, think that gulls, because they're they're trying to get food from us, uh, actually needed to survive. Individuals might, but the population as a whole is totally unaffected by. Uh, people feeding them
0: right lovely to have you on the Chris I've got a quick mention though uh, some parts of the country like Otago the total opposite is happening numbers are actually rising
5: yes quite rapidly they've uh, almost tripped in about seven years
0: very interesting Dr Chris Lala Secura thank you very much uh, for your time on that Uh, Yes, look, I don't mind uh, seagulls, but I didn't know that uh, really you shouldn't uh, be giving them them your uh, chips uh, guy or indeed your fried broccoli or your leftover uh, chicken (laughs) skewer. That probably wasn't eaten because um, that person didn't have much of an appetite uh, that evening. Um, Wallace, I was at Massey University back in the 90s. The food was awful. We used to team up, uh, one having a, a meat eater's and one with a vegetarian. It was bearable. My daughter in a hall in Wellington, the meals, oh, they're awful. She has an allergy to the most fruit and veggies. COVID was overtaking the hall, and she received a from container with just lettuce in it. We bought her home. She's back now, much less COVID, but still awful food. Lovely is, to have is, you she, on. is she
2: out of uni? I, 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 feel, I, I feel bad for her education. Like, I understand the food, but, like, you've got to go to school, right? Um, mm-hmm. Can I give a huge life hack here? Yeah. A toaster in the bedroom. That solves all university food problems. Toaster in the bedroom. It might be illegal, but it gets you the ladies.
0: And you have that now? To- <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I still do now. I'm 35 years old.
0: Guy, oh. Georgie, Kia ora. Thank you for your time. I'm Walt Chapman. Back tomorrow, 3.45. See you then.